Well, praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord again? Amen. Amen. Um, that's beside the point that it's so wonderful to be in the cool rather than the heat outside. But just being here and, uh, and, and being blessed by the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> I would like to uh, begin by reading uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that we can count on your word. We thank you that we need no other. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've blessed us here. We ask your blessing on these words, Lord, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, why am I a Baptist? Why am I not a Presbyterian? Or why am I not some kind of non-denominational evangelical? Or why am I not a Catholic? I was a Catholic. The first 17 years of my life, I was a Catholic. After that, I was non-denominational. But why am I a Baptist now? What's the difference? Is there something that is very unique about being a Baptist that just doesn't exist in all of the others? I'm not talking about most. I'm talking about all of the others. And just keep in mind that A church doesn't have to have the word Baptist on the sign out the front in order to be Baptist in doctrine. But a church that does have the word Baptist on the sign out the front that is not Baptist in doctrine is not Baptist. doesn't matter what they call themselves. You or I could call ourselves a ham sandwich. It wouldn't make it so. So, let's go and... uh, and, and think about some reasons about why being a Baptist is different. Did you know that Baptists are not Protestants? Any church that identifies itself as Protestant is not Baptist. And any Baptist church that holds to Protestant Reformation doctrines is not Baptist. We are Baptists not Protestants. Did you know that the Protestant churches, all of them, persecuted the Baptists? They did exactly the same thing as the church they came out of, but never really left. They kept half of the doctrines, they disagreed with a few, so it was a political separation, not a doctrinal separation, not a religious separation, just a political separation. And they persecuted us because we wouldn't conform. Baptists are not Calvinists. Calvinists are Protestants. Did you know that Calvin was, to speak about it in academic terms, a plagiarist? He stole his doctrines from Augustine who was a father of the Catholic Church. 
Calvin held to infant baptism. That is the doctrine in the Catholic Church of baptismal regeneration, started by Augustine. We can't believe that because how can a, how can a, a, a baby, an infant, possibly understand the gospel? We know they have a special place in God's hand and in God's heart. But as for, for, for being baptized because they are, uh, are saved, it, it doesn't work that way. And you know, we were called Baptists because we refused that and we insisted on free will adult baptism. And the Reformation churches and the Catholic Church disagreed violently. When I say violently, I'm talking about tied to a post and lit on fire violently. Baptists have no part with the Roman Church or any of its ecumenical followers. If you take a look at these non-denominational churches that are out there, they are almost without exception ecumenical. They welcome with open arms their brothers in the Catholic Church. So I don't see the Catholic Church as being brothers. They worship a different gospel. They worship a different Christ. Their Christ wasn't sufficient on the cross, and so he is necessary at every Mass. Sacrificed again. So if their, if their Christ was insufficient for a once for all, then I want nothing to do with him. And I found that out when I was 17. You know, I do have two things that I'm thankful for with the Catholic Church. The first is that as I grew up in the Catholic Church, I understood that God existed. And the second thing is, when I was about 17, I understood that God existed, but he didn't exist there in the Catholic Church. And so I started to get a hunger. If he exists, but not here, then where? That was the beginning of a journey. And the Lord, when I look back on it now in hindsight, you know how crystal clear 2020 hindsight is. When I look back, I see the Lord leading me and preserving me because there were some things I did in my former life that they could have been the end of me and that would have been my entry into an eternity Christless. But praise the Lord. Baptist is not a denomination. Do you know what the evil is about a a denomination? People say, well, you need some sort of structure. Yeah, you do. Inside the local church, you need that structure. Outside of the local church, you have Christ. He's sufficient. The head of every church must be Christ. If it's anything else, you're now following the rules and dictates of man. Baptists believe that Christ performed all the work necessary for salvation. All of it. Leaving nothing for us. Baptists believe in the assurance of salvation. We know we have eternal life. You know, what's really amazing is that Baptists didn't choose the name Baptist. It's actually a swear word. We were looked down on. 
It's them, those people that baptize. What a badge of honor. Praise the Lord for that. If we take a look at the history of the Philadelphia Age Church, the 17, 1800s, and we take a look at the missionaries that went out, discarding all, they just went out. People like Hudson Taylor, people like Charles Abel, people like Livingston. These people went out. Sure, we can say they were sent by LMS and Moody and other people like that, but they went out and the doctrine they preached and the churches they founded, while some of them weren't called Baptist, they were overwhelmingly Baptist in doctrine. They overwhelmingly understood the heresy of the Catholic Church and its followers. They overwhelmingly understood that salvation was a free gift. One thing about Baptists is we look at the Bible, and when I say the Bible, I'm talking about only the King James Bible. We look at the Bible and we see no contradictions, none at all. You know the ones who talk about contradictions in the word of God? They are invariably using critical text derived versions of the Bible which are not actually the Bible. They're paraphrases at best. Every sound doctrine in the newer versions of the Bible is criticized with footnotes. Or some sound doctrines that are in the King James Version are not even there. They're, they're actually gone. Did you know that, that the Great Commission in Mark doesn't exist in the newer versions? In a couple that actually refer to it, they footnote it, which is designed to bring a, a, a confusion about it. It's designed to question it. It's designed to make you think, well, you know, if it didn't exist in the earlier documents, then maybe it's not real. And so the missionary zeal is gone. There's no point. There's no commission. Why bother? And if you are reformed or Calvinist, then you don't believe people can choose anyway. So there's no point in missions. God will choose. Did you know that Baptist doctrine is the founding framework of this great nation? But did you know also that the pilgrims were not Baptists? And in fact, the pilgrims remained part of the Church of England. They never left. They were the holiness sub-branch of the Church of England. And the pilgrims, the Puritans, persecuted Baptists. So we don't look to the pilgrims and their faith. They were not Baptists. They definitely had a work salvation. Baptists have never had and never sought a link between church and state. Baptists have all along been the persecuted and never the persecutors. So why am I a Baptist? Because I see Baptists and Baptist doctrine as being called out and completely distinct from all of the others that... Hold fast to heresy. That actually despise 
despise sound doctrine. Ask yourself this question. Uh, a brother that uh, that I'm, I'm close with um, posted something and, and it, it really rang with me this morning. Ask yourself this question. If Paul was to write today a letter to the US churches, how would that start? That would be brutal. And what do you think the response would be? His feet wouldn't even touch the ground as they took him to the courts. So, that being an introduction, I wanted to also do a a light uh, review of the Baptist distinctives. Um, I think they're fairly important. Many of us um, who have come to become Baptists um, during our life, um, we've never heard these. And then there are some that have been Baptists and grown up in Baptist homes that may not have heard this and they don't know why the Baptists are so distinct from others. Well, I'm going to try and help with that today. I was hoping to do this topically and then if, uh, if the Lord wills and if the pastor agrees, then I'd like to approach each one at a separate lesson in great depth as to why these things are very important for us to understand. These are not our doctrine to believe. These explain why we don't believe what's out there. These explain why we are criticized by the people out there. These explain why we cannot go hand in hand with them. The first one, B for biblical authority. There is no other authority in the local church than the Bible. It is the basis for everything that happens in the church. It is the basis for our doctrine. It is the basis for the operation of the church. It is the basis for the the election or the appointment of elders. It is the basis for our outreach. It is the basis for our inreach. It is the basis for our doctrines on salvation, on Christ, on God, on the church. It is the doctrine. We read about... um, Scripture being given and inspired of God. Well, brothers and sisters, it is. This is not a collection of books which were written and inspired by men. If if we thought all of the versions of the Bible were the same, then we have a problem now because the source manuscripts differ. We have here a Bible which was founded on the Textus Receptus, the majority text. The vast majority, more than 94% of all of the fragments that we have agree with the Textus Receptus. We have church writings external to the Textus Receptus which agree with the contents of the Textus Receptus and they go back to the first century AD. The newer versions are all based on a conglomeration of a few small things, including two main documents, both of which are forgeries, the Sinaiticus, Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. One of them was written by a, a guy named Simonides who, who actually made it public that I wrote that. But the ones who were looking for an alternative to the Texas Receptus just shut him down. They were happy with his forgery. 
This was a guy who made forgeries for sale. That's what he did. He made his money, his life, his living out of making forgeries. And this one was so bad, he chucked it in a bin. Sorry? He threw it in the trash can. But, uh, well, you know, the same guy that said back in Genesis chapter 3, yeah, hath God said? He is whispering in hearts today about, yeah, has God said? Oh, I don't know. There's not, an, there's not enough love in that one. Let's make it a little bit more inclusive. If God is love, then it must be all kinds of love, right? Brothers and sisters, God is love on his terms. He doesn't have to meet our terms. We are not and never will be God's counsellors. We will always be his creation. And the moment we think we are his counsellors, then we have become someone who's worshipping the creation, not the creator. And down that path is an eternity without Christ. So this acrostic, we've covered B. A, the autonomy of the local church. This is a local church. This local church has pastors, deacons, I imagine. This local church is run according to the Bible. This local church has its members, and we'll cover membership shortly. But it is a, an, an autonomous body. It needs no hierarchy to give it doctrine. It's got that in spades here. Every doctrine we could possibly need, we have. Immutable, unchangeable, from the foundation of the earth, the doctrine has existed. No religious hierarchy outside the local church has any authority inside the local church. That means that each and every Baptist church is its own local church. This is something that gets me into a little bit of hot water sometimes because people tend not to like this. Groups like the Southern Baptist Convention, being a denomination, are abiblical. They are not supported by the model of a local church. They are a denomination. So being a denomination, they can't also be Baptist. And when we see how, how they try and manage local churches, how's this? Rick Warren, member of the SBC, ordaining women. So the SBC steps in and says, no, you can't do that, you're going to have to leave the SBC. Whilst that part is correct, that we can't have ordained women pastors because the Bible prohibits it, the fact that an external entity is making rules inside the church is contrary to the local church. That's the poison of denominationalism. That the local church doesn't get to say, God has said. The local church gets to listen to what the hierarchy is telling them to do. So it's impossible for a Baptist church to be part of a denomination 
And it's impossible for a denomination to actually be Baptist. So SBC, yeah, you know, as a club, okay, as a denomination where they're going to set rules and boundaries on local churches, yeah, that, 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 that dog's not going to hunt. As Baptists, we said earlier that there is only one head to the church, and that is Christ. Let's go and have a look at Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. There is a reason that Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church, because this is about him, not us. We are here, not just out of obedience, because we are told to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, but we are here because we love Christ. And we want to be sure every day that he is our head. So let's move on to P. So we've done B, A, now P. The priesthood of the believers. The difference between Baptists and all of the Reformation churches is that we don't need a priest in robes up the front here telling you what you must do. We don't need that because each and every one of us is a priest. We are part of the priesthood of the church. We have the right, the authority and the blessing to come before the throne of God with our petition and the petition of those we care for. We don't need to take it to somebody else who has that sole position. We can come to the throne of Christ. Let's have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up and spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We, the, the language here very, very clearly is stones and house meaning that this church is built up of us and we each are priests and we each can offer spiritual sacrifices which, through Christ, are acceptable to God. Taking it any other way is to abdicate our priesthood duties to another. That's really sad. Let's go and have a look at Revelation chapter 1. And in verse 
6. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm sure we can all say amen to that. Amen. The priesthood of the believers. We need no other person to take our petitions to God. So we've done B, A, P. Now let's take a look at T. The two ordinances in the church. You know, when I was in the Catholic Church, we had all kinds of things. We had the Stations of the Cross where you pray the rosary around the Stations of the Cross, which are actual, they are, they are parts, they are they're icons. Right? Icon, idol, that are ensconced in different places around the church building. And you pray the rosary to each of these. These all are parts of Jesus' life. Now, people say, oh, that's, that's really great. You know, you're praying about Jesus' life. Yes, but you're praying the rosary. The rosary has ten prayers to Mary, then one to Jesus and one to God, then ten prayers to Mary, and then one to Jesus and one to God, and then ten prayers to Mary. And it does that seven times. The rosary, there's nothing Christian about that. Firstly, it's vain repetitious prayer. And secondly, it's praying to an idol, directly to an idol. So it's paganism. We don't have stuff like that. What we do have is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Neither of which save us neither of which are salvation works. But these come from salvation. We can get baptized because we are saved. We can partake in the Lord's Supper because we are saved. Because it has been done for us. When we practice believers' baptism, it is always by emotion. Because it's very clear in the scripture that this is an image of death, burial and resurrection. It is not an image of sprinkling something on the garden. It's very clearly a public sign between the believer and those witnesses who are present that this believer has submitted himself to or herself to Christ, and has followed through the death and resurrection of Christ. It doesn't save the believer, the salvation comes first. The Lord's Supper is very similar in that we remember what Christ did for us and that it was his broken body and it was his blood that one propitiating offering for us. And you can't partake in this unless it was for you. And that means you need to be saved first. If you can say he did it for me, praise the Lord, then it's for you. If you can't say that, 
then you have no part in this. Now, I know some churches are, are different. There are some that have open, uh, open communion, some that have close communion, some that have closed communion. I get that. Those are, those are things within the local church to deal with. They are not things that can be addressed by a denomination or an external structure or a set of rules that are just dumped on top. I. So we've done B, A, P, T. Now we're looking at the letter I. This is something that is unique to Baptists. Individual soul liberty. You know, there's no other churches out there that believe this. They believe you need to add works to it. They believe you need to, uh, you need to be part of the set of rules that they have in their denomination. They believe you need to listen to the priest. But individual soul liberty, where you get to work out your salvation between you and God alone. He's done all the work. And now it's for you to turn to him. And it's not up to the pastor, it's not up to the deacons, it's not up to the priest, it's not up to the denomination. They have no say in this. This is between the sinner and his saviour. Um, something that, that tweaks a few people and until they understand individual soul liberty, they don't really understand this verse. Let's have a look at John 21 verse 22. Actually, we'll start in verse 18. We see that our path in Christ is not all the same. The outcome is all the same, salvation by grace, but the path is not all the same. This doesn't mean that some people have to do works and some people get grace. No, that's, yeah, no. It's all grace. Verse 18, so John 21, verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou uh, wouldest not. This spoke he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following, uh, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith unto Jesus, And what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. We each have a different path the Lord has planned for us in our life, in our walk with him. If somebody walking beside us has an easier path than we have been given, what is that to me? That's his path given to him by God. Salvation is the same, the blessings are the same, but that's his path given by God. If my path should need be harder, praise the Lord, it's all for God. I can't say that that's not fair. Fairness 
It isn't here. This is nothing about fairness. This is about righteousness. This is about God's will will always be more important than anything we could desire. And we can find ourselves in God's will when we desire God's will. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. Following on from what I just said there with regards to John 21, 22, in Romans 14 verse 12, we see, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Your path is for you, set for you by the Lord. And for that, you will give an account. I have no part in that, either the path or the account. The same is with me. What the Lord sets before me in my walk, whether I go to a fire or whether I pass peacefully in my sleep, that's between the Lord and me, whatever he sets for me. And you have no part in that. Other than while we are here, We lift up each other in prayer and encouragement. Every day remembering that we are brethren in Christ. So, we've sort of covered just topically I. Now we're going to take a look at S. So B-A-P-T-I, now S. Saved and baptised church membership. What is the danger of going soft on this? The danger on on going soft on church membership requiring salvation, a salvation, a clear salvation testimony, and having been baptized, the the problem with, with going soft on this is that you end up with unsaved church members. You now are unequally yoking the church to the world. When you have unsaved church members, you have unsaved people voting on church business. You have unsaved people electing a pastor. You have potentially, you could end up with an unsaved deacon or an unsaved pastor. What would happen to a church if they managed to elect an unsaved man as their pastor? It's done. That church is toast. The next thing is, come out of her, my people. But they won't hear that either because they were so lax on the membership rules that they elected an unsaved person as pastor and he's probably preaching tolerance and justice and other things like that. So those churches, we see a lot of them out there. Let's go and have a look at Acts chapter 2. It's amazing what uh, the Holy Spirit can do with an uneducated fisherman. So let's have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And then we'll skip to uh, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then verse 47, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. So that verse 41. These are the people who not just received his words. They didn't just stand there and say, yeah, all right. Whatevs. These are the people who gladly received his word. They heard it. It met with their heart and they were glad about it. Someone who is glad about the gospel, that's a saved person. Because the gospel is offensive to an unsaved person. The gospel isn't nice words and equity and diversity and, and, you know, let's all get together and kumbaya. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you are a sinner, you are going to hell, you need to come to Christ and you need to do it now. That's the gospel. Anyone who gladly receives the gospel, that's a saved person. And so we see the saved person, they then got baptized. Why? Because it was obviously the step they needed to take next. They knew it. There was no doubt about it. They just did it. Okay, so now we're going to the next T. So we've done B, A, P, T, I, S, and now T again. There are two offices in the church. Pastor and deacon. We don't have all of these other things. And in fact, I personally dislike terms like reverend and other things like that because there's one that's reverend and it ain't me. I know that for a fact. I, I wake up still in this body. I know what this body is capable of. I know the thoughts that pass through my head. There's nothing reverend there. And if I know what I can do, if I know what I'm capable of, if I know the sin that is in my heart every day, I'm sure I'm not unique. So the Bible mandates two offices. The pastor is also called elder, bishop and overseer. But that's the one office. Sometimes in the church we refer to him as an under-shepherd. Why? Because we have one shepherd, Christ, the good shepherd. <clears throat> Let's go and have a look at 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, is uh, it, it has a lot in there about the offices of the church. I'm not going to cover all of it. I'm sure we've heard it many times. Maybe later on I will go into it in more depth. But uh, at this time, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. And then we'll jump to 13. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's a good thing to want to be a pastor. It's a good thing to want to be an evangelist. It's a good thing to want to help encourage the brethren in the church. It's a good thing. It's a good work. And someone who wants to do that desires a good work. Verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good decree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know how to be bold in the faith? 
the best way to be bold about sharing your word with other people, the best way to deal with that is to just go and do it. Be a servant and service will come easy. And the last one, I'm oh, sorry I'm running over a little. The last one is the final S in Baptists, the separation of church and state. At no time do Baptists want to link the two. We understand that the state is evil. We understand that it is the sheriff, it bears the sword, and it does so for a reason. We do not want them exercising church authority. The Christian church had that for 1,500 years. And countless of our brethren died at the post, died in terrible ways. So we're told in Matthew 28 to go and teach all nations. That's the church's work. Being the sheriff is the state's work. Let's not confuse them. Let's not conflate them. Let's not overlap them. They are different. So that's what I had to share with us today. Can we uh, get some prayer and ask the Lord to bless us? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord Jesus. We ask you to bless the remainder of this day, Lord, in your wonderful name. Amen.